This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. In today's program, we've got Alexander Pagani with us. We're going to be discussing devils. It's going to be fun. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this program. We've got an exciting guest with us today. Uh, Alexander's come on to be with us. Uh, if you aren't familiar with his ministry, we'll have an opportunity for you to check out some of that content here in a moment. Uh, but we are entirely crowdfunded, so if you want to support the channel, there are links in the description to do so. You can give a one-time gift on PayPal or a recurring gift on Patreon. Uh, if you want to give on Patreon, you get access to extra content over there on Patreon. But what, something that I'm really, really excited about, and I want you to be excited about with me, is the Remnant uh, uh, Prophecy and Hearing God conference that we're doing this September 14th through 16th. Uh, if you go to remnantconferences.com, that's with an S, remnantconferences.com, uh, you can check out all of the content that we have up there, tons of breakout sessions. We're bringing in prophetic voices kind of from all over the nation to, to be doing prophecy. Uh, we're going to be doing tongues and interpretation. Uh, there's going to be a lots of opportunity to one, give, receive, practice in the prophetic. If that's something that's interesting to you, I would encourage you to go check out the link in the description of this video or maybe you're listening on podcast and you don't you can't get to that that link check out remnantconferences.com without further ado i want to introduce you to my new friend uh, i've got alexander with us here uh, on the call but i've also got my friend michael over there in oklahoma uh, michael man I, I, I guess i have to ask you uh to to introduce your excitement of the show before we introduce uh, alexander <laughs> I, you I know, know this what is a, this is a program we've been talking about for a while <laughs> Josh, just seeing if you can pull the three the picture of the three of us all side by side, Josh, I just kind of expected you to talk trash to me about the beard. That, that no, I just Michael, Michael, I, I just can't hang. I would never make Kogami. fun of your bald face. I would be too afraid of <laughs> she bears coming out and mauling me. I would never ever do that. Oh, so good. Bible jokes, gotta love them. Uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, Pagani, man, uh, so we we reviewed one of uh, Pagani's prophetic words, and then uh, I think uh, I think that he uh, responded on Facebook and like interacted with us a little bit, and so he and I got a little bit in touch by Facebook, invited him on the show, read his book, and and so definitely, I would say that if I had demons, I would I would probably be giving this guy a call. <laughs> I probably would. I'd be like, help me out, so brother. How many times have you called him? Uh, three times in the last week. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, man, would would love to. We're going to talk about deliverance ministry, and I know, uh, I know that this is uh, just a this is a big part of uh, of his ministry. But man, we want to just uh, to just introduce you. Uh, what do you want us to call you? You want us to call you, you introduced me when we talked by phone, you said, 
I think you said call call me Pagani, but maybe you go by your first. I don't know. What what do you want us to call you? Pagani Pagani's fine. Pagani Pagani's <laughs> fine. It, it's catchy. Plus, it's a sport. It's a super sports car. I, I'm I'm good. But most people call me Apostle. But you guys can call me Pagani. I'm I'm okay with. Okay. It. I'm okay with. Okay. It. Yeah. We'll call you. All right. We'll call you Pagani. So tell us tell us a little bit about yourself and and maybe even a little bit on the Apostle thing and and how that that plays in and uh, just introduce us to your ministry and help people just get to know you before we jump in. Hey man, well, I got saved in 1992. I got 30, I'm going on 31 years in the gospel. Um, I repented of my sins while serving a nine year prison sentence um, back in the early, in the early nineties, Jesus Christ came in my cell, uh, told me uh, to follow him. I had a supernatural encounter in my prison cell, didn't know the Bible, had maybe some interaction with some Christians uh, here and there uh, growing up. Um, the byproduct of single parent home, living streets to the South Bronx, a stick up kid, drug dealer, um, ended up in Rikers Island, facing 21 years in prison, ended up uh, taking a plea deal for nine years. And while I was in prison, a Christian correctional officer uh, began to give me chick tracks. I'm not sure if many of your viewers are remember chick tracks, but chick tracks were very popular in the early 90s as a form of evangelism. And what I used to do was I used to smoke Bible paper and read the word at the time because my aunt worked in the prison facility that I was in and she had given me a Bible. I was uh, serving 360 days in the prison box, a special housing unit for uh, sli slicing and stabbing uh, other inmates. So while I was there, my aunt give, gave me a Bible um, and I began to read the Bible while smoking uh, tobacco and marijuana in it, not realizing um, that while I was uh, reading the Bible as an unbeliever, I actually understood it. For some reason, I something told me to start in the New Testament and I started reading the book of the book of Matthew. When I got to Matthew 13, as an unbeliever, um, I understood the parable of the sower not being saved. And by the time I got to the end of the chapter where he interprets it, I had like this, this epiphany of, oh my God, I'm understanding the Bible. I understood it. I understood that before, before he actually interpreted it. And it was at that moment that I began to realize, okay, maybe, you know, I was 17 years old at the time. I was just coming out of juvenile detention center. So the age of 15 through 22, nine years, um, I just did my whole youth in prison. Um, one day in downstate correctional facility in upstate New York, Fishkill, New York, um, I was writing a letter to my aunt, uh, who's a Christian, and I told her that I wanted to make a confession of faith, but I wasn't sure if I was ready to make that commitment. Um, and I went to write because I want to go to heaven with you and my grandmother, who is a, a, a Pentecostal who has gone on to be with the Lord at this time. You know, when I wrote the word cause, the presence of God hit my cell and Jesus Christ showed up in my cell. I can't explain it, but I knew it was him. He was on my right side um, and he said, follow me. I heard the voice of the Lord say, follow me. And at that moment, I felt a complete awareness that I was sinful. I can't explain it. I mean, now I could explain it theologically, but back then I couldn't explain it. I just knew that I didn't deserve uh, to go to heaven. I was utterly depraved, if I can use that as a, as a, as a, to help your, your, your viewers understand. And then I heard the devil speaking in this ear and he was screaming, the demon was screaming nonstop of the things that I had to give up. Jesus spoke once, but the demon in my left ear began to speak nonstop and putting flashes in my head about things that I had to give up. And I remember coming to this, 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 this one thought that here I am, I'm 17 years old. I'm doing nine years in prison. Um, I know this one thing that if I was living for the Lord on this side, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. And I just had like this, 
this crisis of, man, this is how my life is going to be in prison the rest of my life. And I remember just repenting and I didn't know how to pray. And I just said, all right, all right, Lord. All right, Lord. I repent and I, 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 I repent and I surrender. And I remember um, Jesus was on this side. He merged within my body and I felt what is called um, rivers of living water, but it was different. It was like rivers of liquid fire. I figured out later that it was the washing of regeneration, but at the time I didn't know that. And I fell out in the prison on the floor. I got up and instantly I was, I, I was born again. And I just knew when I was on the floor that I was believing in the finished work of Christ on the cross. I just, ha I already had that awareness of that because of the chick tracks. And I knew and I, that I was completely trusting in Christ as for my salvation. Um, I fell asleep immediately after that. I woke up the next day to grab a cigarette and a voice spoke to me and said, you don't do that no more. And I remembered everything that happened the night before. So I, at that moment, I got rid of the cigarettes and the lifestyle and everything from that moment. That was in 1992 up until today. Uh, been living for the Lord. Ended up getting released in prison, uh, marrying a pa married a pastor's daughter, uh, entered the ministry very, very uh, early. Within prison, I heard the call uh, to the apostolic uh, ministry, but I didn't know what it was called. So in my head, I had bishop overseeing churches. That's what I had in my head. Um, so I started um, studying scripture in um, the rest of my prison sentence, when I got released, then I ended up going to Bible school seminary and graduating and doing all of that. My pastor uh, helped me with that. Um, but that's kind of like where I got the call that I would be birthing churches and overseeing churches and that I would be a young urban pastor and I'll be well known. And then during from that time until I got called to the pastorate, God started sending me prophets and different people that would prophesy to me. Nothing fluky and flaky and prophesying, just little small things of you're going to be a great man in the kingdom of God. You're going to be a young urban pastor. God is going to do this and do this and do that. And while I was in prison, um, I started having dreams consistently, nonstop, of me casting out demons. And I didn't know years later that I would actually be doing it because when I joined bi biblical seminary uh, in denominationalism, I actually got turned out and I preached against the ministry of deliverance. And uh, well, I guess we'll flesh out that story in the rest of this interview, but I ended up embracing it, but it'd be an interesting story. But in a nutshell, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm a pastor. I love the Lord with all of my heart. Yeah, I'm a bit radical, but I think it's caters to my Bronx personality. And, you know, I'm excited and for the imminent return of Christ. And thank you for having me on. Well, we're honored to have you. I mean, honestly, we uh, we review a lot of prophetic words. Michael mentioned this earlier, and I think in the video that we reviewed uh, of you, and I think you might even had some other people from uh, from Charisma. We reviewed those words, and and I think yours stood out to have a a quality to it that um, I don't know the discernometer, like it just it felt it had a quality to it that resonated that I go, man, I just, I, I, I would be careful about talking about this word in a way that as if it wouldn't or couldn't come to pass. And right. sometimes I just, I don't feel that kind of pause when reviewing some prophetic words, uh, cause they, you know, the great transfer of wealth, like that happens every year, right? Yeah. Um, you know, this is the year 5772 or whatever it is, you know, in, 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 in prophesying <laughs> from a Jewish calendar, I just, I, I kind of get paused to some of those things, but as you're kind of delivering that prophetic word, there was just a quality, um, to it that I felt was, um, that, that was from the Lord. So I, I'm excited to have you on because that doesn't happen too frequently, uh, uh, that, that I hear that, um, from ministers who are, who are giving, uh, prophetic words on, on kind of 
public platforms. I just, I find the more public things are, sometimes it's just the weirder things get. Um, yeah. You know, for our audience, they're not aware, many aren't aware that there's just tons of different streams within Christendom, right? We get Anglicans and Methodists and Presbyterians and Baptists that we interview on the show, but we also interview people a lot within the charismatic movement, not to get you to define yourself, but just for contextually for people to understand where you kind of fit within the space. Would you find yourself more maybe in a Pentecostal stream? Would you find yourself as a charismatic? Do you just you call yourself non-denominational Protestant? Like like we we interview charismatics on this program clearly that have lots of different beliefs within charismaticism, right? We don't uh, as like we don't agree with all the Anglicans and Presbyterians about pedo baptism. We don't agree with all of our charismatic brothers, but like so that we can kind of contextualize and say this is the, the reference point of where we're going to start our discussion. Can you maybe contextualize your kind of theological background? Well, initially, I first started as a denominational Pentecostal within denominationalism. Nothing wrong with denominations. Um, I ended up leaning towards more non-denomination. But if I was to contextualize myself in a school of thought, I'm definitely not a NAR because NAR has a particular language. I don't talk that language. I wouldn't consider myself Pentecostal because when I think of Pentecostalism, I think of the stifling legalism. I would say I'm fivefold you know, or kingdom, if that is even a thing. Um, but I do believe in modern day apostles and prophets, but I wouldn't necessarily say that believing that um, would make me NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, because even I call them out on some of the goofy foolishness that I see going on here. But I definitely wouldn't say word of faith. That's the devil in regards to a lot of that prosperity gospel. In some regards, even though I believe in prosperity, I don't know. I think I don't know how I can define myself other than kingdom and maybe fivefold. I just believe in the fivefold. I believe in scripture. Maybe a continuationist with the early church fathers of the book of yeah. Acts, maybe I, along those lines. I think if what, I can, yeah. I think what Josh is trying to get you to do is to say, I follow Cephas, I follow Paul. <laughs> That's exactly I what I'm trying Christ. to do. That's okay. right. Another Bible That's right, joke Michael. there. Go and check out First Corinthians <laughs> 1. Anyway, no. Uh, okay, no, that's great. So uh, let's let's dive in. So you wrote a you wrote a book. I, I think you are releasing tomorrow a sec another book about deliverance, uh, but you wrote a, a first book about deliverance. Uh, was it the secrets of deliverance? Sometimes I forget book titles. Honestly, uh, remind me the it title was, of your book. It was the secrets secrets of uh, deliverance. Yes, to, that's exactly that. secrets to deliverance. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. All right. So uh, one of the premises of the book, you you talk a lot about how it's important, like generalized generalized deliverance prayers are not that effective. And right. just for our viewers who aren't aware, when we're talking deliverance, we're talking about casting out demons. So right. the casting out demons with a general like, may all the demons go away, not that great. You talk about right. like really pinpointing, really getting specific. What does that mean to get specific? What does that look like to have targeted deliverance prayers? And, and yeah, go, why don't you explore that for us? Well, well, first, the reason why I say uh, we need a little bit more targeted deliverance prayers. Here's what I believe about that the body of Christ suffers, and I hear you guys talk a lot about it a lot. It's just I just think that we get trapped. Um, something works, and then what was working ends up becoming an incantation or incantational, if that's even a word. So then mm -hmm. 
so then what was originally working no longer works anymore. You know, the essence and the essence of it has been removed. And then it becomes like this ritualistic type of thing. Um, and then Hezekiah has to come and kind of destroy the bronze serpent that Moses made because now the people are kind of idolizing it. What I have found is um, even though I'm a Generation X guy, um, I didn't grow up in church. So, you know, the older way of maybe having Christianity for me didn't work too much without removing the historicity of the beauty of history, historicity and ancient of, you know, the church, you know, I just felt, man, get them goofy religious prayers out of here. Pray for me for real, because I'm, you did that prayer. It ain't working. Get deeper. The goal was I need to get free. And those normal liturgical press, which nothing wrong with that, they just didn't work for a person like me. I'm a hip hop street guy. I don't know nothing about nothing about all that stuff. So when I came into Christianity, I was desperately looking uh, to grow in my own faith. And it's just a lot of it just wasn't working except that which was found in scripture. So I, so I just said, Lord, this, this, this is just not working for people like me. So I went on a quest for my own freedom and my own growth for people that come from my lifestyle, hip hop culture, which I have seen the church yet to embrace that at all. I, don't, I haven't seen the church world in that culture yet. So I said, Lord, how can I, how can I merge that? And all I heard for me was upgrade, you know, just upgrade. Now here's what's interesting about the word upgrade. The word upgrade doesn't mean remove. It just means to enhance it. So it's kind of like if I paint the wall uh, to give it a better coat, the first coat is still there. And I think sometimes when these new things come in, they try to provide something new and then they get something erroneous. I think upgrade just enhances, you know, and beautifies something that is already beautiful, you know, uh, or rather take something that has glory and makes it more glorious. So. What I have found is that when I was reading deliverance books uh, from the early 70s, remember, I'm, 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 I'm a 90s guy, you know, when I embraced Christianity. So those books didn't really work for me. So because it didn't work for me, I went around looking for people who were doing deliverance. There was nobody doing deliverance. Then I got into biblical seminary and then I just abandoned it. And I just put it in the back burner. So now I'm pastoring. And then the I call it the advent of modern technology. That hits the church. I was already pastoring, thriving church. And then the spiritual climate of my church changed. We went from not having technology to having technology. So now pornography is being introduced to the church where you had to before go get it. I didn't know how to help them. So I was using those same prayers that didn't work for me to try to help them get free. It didn't work for them. So I just said, Lord, what's the problem? The Holy Spirit said, you need to upgrade the prayers. If the devil is upgrading uh, his counterattack, then the church needs to be continuously evolving in their counterattack. So what worked 15 years ago might not necessarily work today. Not everything. Some stuff still works. Some stuff are perpetual and eternal, and they still work then and they still work now. There's some things that don't. So it's kind of like this. When the body of Christ gets an upgrade, the devil upgrades as well. Then he counterattacks that. So now we're still using the brazen serpent and now the brazen serpent has become idolatrous and now we're just using that and now that's not working. So I think it, it should be a continual progressive thing. So that was my quest. I said, Lord, how can I upgrade without losing the historicity and the ancient beauty of this thing and not stray off into error? And it's there, it's just there. We go from glory to glory. So that's kind of like what I felt. I felt that we're outdated. Some of our weaponry is outdated in some regards. And I'm trying my best to provide at least a little bit of upgrade without removing that, without removing the landmarks of old, because I think both are actually 
actually need it. I want, I'm just trying to do what Paul said. Let me show you a better way without removing that which is better. If I can use that as an as an example, that's what I think. So let me let me ask a follow up question to that because I think some are listening and going, okay. So um, when you're talking about these prayers of deliverance, I think that you're talking about like rehearsed systems of prayer, historic prayers that say like, hey, right. if you're if you're you know demonic activity, pray this prayer, you know, get baptized, like that we see like in 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 catechisms and things like that. You know, do you renounce Satan and the devil? Those kinds of things that we don't see in scripture, but that are used throughout history. Now, when you're saying that you're you're looking for upgrade, you're looking for new, you're not. I don't think you're saying, but I also want to ask for, for sake of clarification, are you asking for new extra biblical ways to do deliverance? Are you asking for new power to be manifest with biblical patterns of deliverance? Like uh, when people hear the word new and especially in charismatic spaces, you know, or even when we talk about secrets of deliverance, people are thinking in terms of, okay, so we have this new secret revelation, like, ah, uh, that sounds kind of like the scary end of the charismatic pool, right? So can, right. can you maybe um, harmonize what you're saying when you're saying new, what does that mean in its relationship to Holy Scripture? Okay, first and foremost, please excuse those of you that are watching my Bronx vernacular. You guys need to get delivered with the word new and with the word secret. The devil don't own those words, and I'm not giving it to them. Um, secret doesn't mean esoteric, and new doesn't mean erroneous. So get delivered from your trigger word responses. All right? So let's just throw that out there, because I'm not going to be held to the confines of people. You can't say secret, because then you mean esoteric. Jesus said, to you it is given to understand the secrets of the kingdom. Paul even goes a step further and says, I has not seen, he has not word to show you God's deep secrets. So secrets is not a bad word. Write it in the chat room for those of you. Secrets is not a bad word. And new doesn't mean erroneous. The, what I'm referring to is not that. That leads to false doctrine. That leads to cult. I'm neither that. Had I been a cult, someone would have been called me out in 30 years. What I'm talking about is effective. That's it. Something that's effective and tailor-made to minister to a person in their current need that that might not necessarily minister to them because this needs specialized prayer for specifically for this. Let me give you an example. If you're dealing with somebody from hip-hop culture, you're dealing with uh, anti-white establishment. So the moment you come with that white deliverance stuff, they've already mentally checked out. So now you have to navigate that into a tailor-made prayer that's still from scripture that ministers to the trauma of transatlantic slave stuff and all of that, you know, abandonment, rebellion, anarchy, and deal with that rather than, let me just throw at you this colonization of deliverance prayers that comes from back then, and you they've already dismissed it in their brain in the sense of, this doesn't minister to me personally. Now, I'm not referring to the foundational scriptural uh, uh, essence of that. That can never be changed. Christ alone, by faith alone, through the word of God alone, sola scriptura, that never changes. I'm talking about method to be able to minister more effectively in a better way, not in something Oh, just take it and leave it. Well, they don't understand. Walk away. No, man, let's help them get free. If that's not working, go to the next strategy. That's what I'm referring to. Something that is effective rather than dismissive in tactic, tactical warfare, if I can use that as a term. Right. Um, what would you say to somebody uh, who says, well, Alexander, we just... We just have sufficiency of scripture and the scripture tells us that we have authority in Christ to command demons to go. And 
you know, sometimes, like in the case of Legion, uh, the you get a demon's name, so there's a case for that. But but as a general rule, you just command the demons to go, and they go, and special tactics and all of this other stuff. It feels like you might be adding to the scripture. And what I could what I could hear, especially from uh, well, certain parts of Christianity, saying like, "Hey, sufficiency of scripture." Second, uh, Second Timothy three sixteen to seventeen, all scriptures God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so I can imagine the person saying, "Like, hey, you know, like we have what we need in the scripture, and I can see Christ has given me authority, so I just in that authority command the demons to go." But is Alexander Pagani creating all these like extra steps and hoops to jump through in order to get a demon delivered because we got to upgrade and all of this, they would maybe say that endangered sufficiency of scripture. How would you respond to that? I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be very nice to your viewers. I'm really trying to be nice to your, to your viewers. They need to get delivered out of that because nobody is saying that nobody is saying that. But if I was to be honest, if that's what they tell me, then guess what? then you do that. Let each one be persuaded in their own mind, Romans chapter 14. If that's the method of how you believe God has revealed to you that that is the most effective way to minister to this particular person in their present need, in case it's demonic, everything is not a demon, then I would say whatever is not a faith is sin. You stick to that. If, but I would say this, if it doesn't work for someone else, what are they going to do? Just keep throwing that? Then I would think that it's just an issue of idolatry to a method. And then we're getting into method idolatry. And then we're just going to have to agree to disagree. I'm not trying to convince uh, the world to upgrade their tactics. I'm saying that for a particular group of people, that which I bring might be the answer that they're looking for. But I'm a Christ alone by faith alone through scripture alone. Sola scriptura guy, which is why everything that I say, I say scripture because I'm I embrace deliverance as a pastor and pastors never well good pastors shouldn't embrace something new based on experience but they should brace uh embrace it based on doctrine and well mark chapter one says what new teaching is this what doctrine is this for with authority demons can come out so deliverance is a doctrine I would say uh we're just pulling hairs there you know if someone feels that I would say then you discern me right now. What is the Holy Spirit telling you about what I'm saying right now? I know he couldn't possibly be saying I'm giving extra biblical things. The most you can say is that's how God revealed it to them. And it works. If it doesn't work in that manner, then I'd say follow as the Holy Spirit guides you because the ministry of deliverance is a non-salvation topic. Ain't nobody going to hell because of the ministry of deliverance. It's a non-salvation mm -hmm. yeah. topic. See what I'm saying? So I can't really answer that without saying that each one be persuaded in their own mind. If that's what works for you, then you do it. Yeah. So let me, let me kind of maybe compare when you're talking about practices. I'm, I was, as you were thinking, I was getting this idea of like you going into seminary and you're teaching in a homiletics or hermeneutics class. And you're talking about how to communicate to an audience and the guy who's encouraging you to teach well and he's giving you good tools to teach he might encourage you to use a projector to you know to illuminate your points or your scripture he might encourage you to hand, have a handout that you give to the congregation of people so that they can follow along with you he might tell you to have a three-point sermon that is alliterated you know um he might say you know have an illustration an explanation and an application for each of your points now none of those things are explicitly biblical but they're tools that we have given teachers 
teachers to utilize alongside the communication of God's word. And the same way with like evangelism, some people do like way of the master or evangelism explosion. Some use tracks, some do friendship evangelism. And we, we give them tools and train them in systems on how to connect and relate with people. Nowhere in that system are we saying this system is scripture. We're not saying uh, this system, this way of evangelism, if you don't do this, you're somehow wrongly doing it. Now, there, someone's going to hear that and say, well, there's a right and wrong way to teach the Bible, and there's a right and a wrong way to do evangelism. Sure, but but there's definitely more than one way to skin a cat in evangelism, uh, and right. it still be biblical, right? You still call a person to repent of their sin, to believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you still have to hit the core parts, but the way right. that you get there can be different in each of those. So it seems like you're saying that there is this biblical undercurrent, this this concrete way of deliverance seen in Scripture, and what you're kind of trying to bring to the table is a a new method by which we can do that. So I'd be curious, could you give me some like concrete examples? First of all, did that illustration line up? Does that kind of hit what you're talking about, um, that kind of explanation? And then secondly, can you give me some concrete examples of what those kind of methods, those kind of new practices look like as it pertains to deliverance? Well, I would say, yes, that's exactly um, what I'm saying. The only issue that I have is, is that I think when it comes to this, you know, modern evangelicalism has these trigger points and then they get caught up with, oh, this new method is taken away from the supremacy of scripture. And then they can't think outside of that to say, no one is saying that. What we're saying is Paul said, do it a better way or a different method. We're reaching the same destination. No one is taking away from the supremacy of scripture. Now, as far as a biblical example of that, I don't have an example of that because the goal ultimately is cast a demon out, you know, cast a demon out. But I would, I, if I can use an example, I'm going to use Christian rap as an example. Christian rap, I'm not too much into Christian rap per se, even though at one point I was heavily into it. But I remember embracing Christian rap as a form of evangelism. In the beginning, I preached against it because I was more into songs, uh, forms of worship and evangelism that was purely theological in every point. If it wasn't saying Jesus in every lyric, then there was either some sort of uh, view away into some sort of emotional experience or some glorification of self. And then I began to hear them doing that form of evangelism and they were also, not just preaching Christ, but talking about life experiences. Now, watch this. In scripture, I, in, in seminary, I wasn't taught to uh, use life experiences more than actually scripture. It was actually you threw that in there as a footnote to kind of help enhance the message a little bit. But other than that, it was just scripture, scripture, scripture. And amen. I still preach like that. Scripture, scripture, scripture. But then when I started talking about more life experiences and incorporating scripture with undertones into that, I find that there was a specific group that I was able to reach with bait, maybe not in the sense of salvation, but have them bite the fishing hook in the form of evangelism to reel them in. And then I preached Christ crucified uh, to them. That's the best example that I can use because why? The Christian church to this day still doesn't view Christian hip hop as a real validated form of evangelism. But I've seen otherwise. I've seen the average street person that would never go to church embrace that kind of music, and then that music leads them to church. If I can use it as, as an example of 
modifying it without modifying. And even that, I don't even know if your viewers would get upset about mod the word modification means. I don't know, man. I don't know about all these trigger words, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's all good. I mean, I think one of the things that I hear you saying is that like when we talk sufficiency of scripture and authority of scripture, we're talking about teachings binding on the conscience for, especially as we talk authority, uh, binding on the conscience for all people everywhere. Like everyone right. is required by God to obey the Bible, even unbelievers. It's they're they're actually held to that, <laughs> to that standard as well, uh, that across the board, God, he is Lord overall and every, he calls and demands everyone to repent. And so that's true of everyone. And you're saying, Hey, am I a little like, ministry tactics like i'm not saying that's binding on the conscience for you this is this is just some things that i've learned along the way um right. but now i want to kind of dive into that right. tactic uh right. we had so john lambert here asks for examples of upgraded tactics so uh could you talk us through what are some of these tactics uh that you've applied in casting demons out well it depends on what kind of deliverance session you're referring to nothing comes to my mind here because i feel like we're still trying to press in that one particular view nothing specifically comes into my mind because people are just getting delivered consistently um when we con when we conduct deliverance you know what i think i'm I, I feel like for the sake of conscience of people listening guys when we conduct deliverance we're preaching Christ crucified. I know you think that that's not, we're not what we're not doing because there's a lot of deliverance ministries that are more experiential. Please don't throw us into that same category because we preach the sufficiency of Christ alone by faith alone, repentance, uh, death, burial, and resurrection as the first means to even get delivered. So I just kind of want to throw that in there because I feel like we're still lingering in that and then we have it kind of like moved on in the interview because i feel like we're trying to prove something to somebody that's out there that is never going to change their mind sure sure okay cool josh did you have something well i mean i i think we're, we're, we're all Christians, and I think being Christian, we, we just submit to the authority of Scripture. So I, as much as I, I go, man, like I, I, I get that there are uh, Pharisees in the days of Jesus who want to, um, you know, d debate and quibble. I, I like the, that, that passage of the, the Sadducees who come to Jesus. It's been coming up quite a bit in my conversations. The Sadducees come to Jesus. They're trying to trick them, you know, and, and I think a lot of charismatics get into this position where, you know, the theological heretic hunters are trying to, to trick and entrap and those kinds of things. And right. he says, hey, you know, you, you, you don't understand because you don't know the scripture nor the power of God. And like the power of God was like a prerequisite. The the demonstration, the supernatural, uh, was was a pre uh, a prerequisite to understanding and comprehending the scriptures. Like that was an important aspect. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people who who again aren't walking in that power, don't know the power of God, and because of that, they're they're looking to entrap, just like the the Sadducees are looking to entrap. And I, and I get that. I understand that. At the same token, I do think that there are good uh, intentioned 
Christians who are like, I want to know what the Bible says about these things. And I don't want to go beyond what the Bible says on these things. And I just think that that is also just as, as much as it can be at the heart of a person trying to entrap someone, it can also be the heart of a person that's like good intentioned and like wants to know what God has said about this subject. So like, I want to, I want to kind of spoke to, to speak to both sides of this because, you know, Alexander, we've got, we've got guys on all spectrums of this. It's not just the heretic hunters, you know, who are watching Remnant Radio. It's also people who are interested in seeing the power of God displayed and pushing back the kingdom of darkness. So I feel like uh, uh, Michael had asked this question, and I might have asked this question as, as well earlier, uh, and, and maybe I missed it, but could you give me like a concrete example of what that looks like? Like what, what's, a, what's a strategy? What's a, a, a thing that you're doing when it comes to deliverance that is, uh, you know, uh, a strategy that you're using that, that, that you see effective when doing deliverance ministry? Okay, so obviously, troubleshooting. I think troubleshooting, whether the person even really has a demon, might be a, a, a more upgraded tactic because half, more than half the people coming for uh, a deliverance session are really not dealing with demonic infestation as they claim that they are. So let me give you an example of a tactic that I kind of use. And I'm afraid to even say this because then it, you know, it is what it is. So when somebody tells me they're demon possessed that don't know me, uh, and there's people that come that don't necessarily know me, I ask them, what's my name? What's my, what's, uh, what's my legal name? You know, what's my legal name? Um, if the demon can't answer what's my name, then there's not a real demon because the demon will supernaturally know what's my legal name. All right. So people think that the name that I give out there is my name, but I have more to my legal name. So that's just kind of something that I learned to help me troubleshoot in a deliverance session to let me know whether this person is maybe dealing with something else or they're genuinely, they're genuinely demonized. What's my legal name? If the demon can say your name is X, Y, and Z, then I know for a fact that that's not a that's not a demon because obviously the kingdom of darkness will know my legal name. You guys know my church name. You guys know the name that I put out there. You don't know my legal name. All right. So I begin to, and that's, that's a tactic that I would say real demonic possession has supernatural information and knowledge. You say that you have a real demon and you're demon possessed. What's my name? What's my name? Or questions that only a demon would know when they can't answer that. Put your name is Pagani. Bingo. I know you're not a demon. You're not a demon. You're someone that's following me off the internet. That's kind of like an example that I would say I learned uh, along the way, just based on scripture saying that demons, real demonic possession, real demon entities have supernatural knowledge uh, that is not privy to the person that's coming to get to get set free. That's an example. Now, do I find a real scripture that says, asking a demon, what's my name? You know, I can hear people saying, oh, there they go again, boasting and self-glorification. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is a tactic. Holy Spirit said, this person says they're, de they're demon possessed. What's my legal name? Your name is Pagani. Then I know, or something else, then I know this is not a real demon. This is a person that's demonized or a person that's looking for attention. And then I go and I steer in a different direction. I don't, for me, getting it wrong is not a deal breaker. I go into pastor mode and I go, okay, they think it's demon possession. Now let me help them 
take them through some form of discipleship is Christ Savior. And I kind of keep going. That's an example that I would use. But then again, I don't have a scripture to say other than that we know from scripture, demons have supernatural knowledge. But is there a prescriptive scripture to use that tactic? You're not going to find it. So I'm afraid to even say that because the prescriptive folk, they're going to say, that's not in the Bible, but that's an example of a tactic that I use. I've never seen deliverance ministers do that. What's my name? To get the demon to reveal whether it's really a demon. No, a lot of deliverance ministers just take it on face value. People come to them and they say they have a demon and they just roll with it. And I think sometimes half of the stuff that we're seeing is just 100% misdiagnosis. But that would be one example that I personally use uh, in helping me, not all the time, differentiating when someone comes to me and they say that they believe that they are demon possessed, if I can use that as an example. Sure. Okay. Why don't we uh, stand here in the practical space for a moment. In your book, you talk about the four steps of deliverance, recognize, repudiate, remove, restore. Could you talk us through those? Okay. So the system of R or four, it's not, it's not, an incantation is just from what I've seen. Number one is you have to recognize, recognize that that you potentially might actually have a demon. And when you know that it's a demon based on a, a seasoned deliverance minister, you call it a demon and you don't rationalize it. Are all things demons? No. But when you realize that it is a demon, then continue through with your deliverance uh, session. Uh, repudiate means after you recognize that it is a demon, then you have to renounce it. I could throw in their repentance as well, because the renouncing and the repentance, they synonymous, they go hand in hand. We always lead somebody through repentance to find out whether they're even saved. You know, you know, is Christ uh, Lord? I believe in Lordship salvation. Is Jesus Lord? Are you walking? Are you walking this thing out? All right. We lead them through that. And then, uh, you know, they renounce those things. Right. Um, and then after that, you remove those things. You remove them, which means at that point, I'm just taking as this is what I believe the Holy Spirit has revealed. It is a demon there. And we proceed into casting a demon out. Now, what that might look like, it depends on various different people. Sometimes we lead them through a deliverance form that we do have that's readily available for anybody to download. We're not hiding our deliverance form. Other times it's total dependence on the gifts of the Spirit, which means they can fill out a form and the Holy Spirit says, scrap the form prophesied. This is what's really going on through a word of knowledge, which we train our people to kind of do that, be open uh, to that. Or we just go into a more systematic way of doing it. We just, if this is what they said they're dealing with, we command that which they said, we cast it out and that's it. We work with them through that process. The timing can vary from different people. And then we refill. Refill means after the demon is cast out, we pray for them. We prophesy to them. If we have a word of the Lord, we don't force a word of the Lord because then it's prophesying and then it's, it's false Holy Spirit or whatever. But we do lay hands on them. We do believe in the impartation of laying on of hands and we minister to them. And an example of that would be this. If someone released uh, or was cast out a demon of unforgiveness, let's use that as an example, where we pray, God, fill this brother or sister with forgiveness or amplify, Holy Spirit, your love and forgiveness in their life that's already there based on being a partaker of his divine nature. So we help them to reoccupy those areas so that way Luke 11 uh, doesn't happen. And I don't think we've had any Luke 11, which means seven times worse, 
ever happening with the people that I'm sure it probably has happened, but we just haven't seen it in a long time. So we follow those four. We follow those four steps. We have a fifth step, but I didn't put in the book because we're saving it for the uh, we're saving it for the next one. The last one is regulation. What we're adding is here are the rules and regulations of how to maintain your deliverance, because the goal of deliverance is to never come back. That's the goal. Do people come back? Yes. What we do is we give them instruction. Here is what you need to do. Steady discipline of the scriptures. Make Christ supreme. Make the word of God supreme in your life. Fellowship. Be held accountable. All of the things that they were presupposed, supposed to be doing. And then we really emphasize, you need to do this. And if they're not part of a local church, we invite them to join our church, or we try our best to help them find a local church where they could where they could join. Now, the pandemic has made things a little weird with people going to churches and stuff like that. So we've, we haven't been as dogmatic when it comes to that. But me personally, I'm very dogmatic in uh, when people coming for deliverance number in two things. One, are you born again? And two, are you submitted to a local church? I think half the problems of Christians with demonization is that they're not submitted to a local fellowship, but that's another topic. Now, because of the pandemic, I'm not as dogmatic when it comes to that because, you know, people, watch online church, you know, and it is, it is what it is. So those are the five, but specifically four, I only talk about in the book because they want me to talk about the fifth one in my, my next book after this one that comes out tomorrow. Well, I mean, that, that seems quite orthodox and practical. I think that's a, it's a fantastic, you know, having people repent, have them plugged into local churches, you know, preaching the, the real gospel to people, death, burial, resurrection, repentance of sin, like faith in God, like those are the cores. And this is what I find to be a underlying norming cause within the charismatic space when it comes to deliverance ministry. It seems that we're always getting to that it seems as if we've gotten to the end goal the same way. Like we want to cast out this demon and we want to make sure when it comes to the care of the individual that they have faith in Jesus, they repent of their sin, which again, like maybe you're out there and you're a heretic hunter, maybe you're out there and you're like, Hey, I don't, I don't care for deliverance ministry. I think it does damage. I mean, this is the end goal of what we're aiming for is repentance and faith and, and getting plugged into a local church. Uh, I, I remember I traveled with a guy for a while who did a lot of evangelism, uh, evangelism ministry and, and a lot of deliverance. And, uh, and he used to tell the story of the sons of Sceva. That was so funny because he would always say, look, at the end of this story, this demon beats up these boys and they run out of this, you know, the house naked. And, and, uh, and then it says the fear of God gripped the church and the church grew. He's like, even bad deliverance grows the church. I always thought that was hysterical. Um, <laughs> but the aim for even Christians is like we're even even when we're doing deliverance ministry, uh, it might not it might not even uh, uh, be you know, uh, 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 scoring on the, on the 10 card of perfection when it comes to the practice of deliverance. But the aim is to get people to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus, to live in freedom. I mean, that, I think all Christians watching this program can go, okay, that, that seems like it, that underlying key that we can, we can walk away kind of holding to that firmly. Uh, Alexander, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, you had said that the deliverance ministry, when you were talking to a, a demonic force and asking them for a name, this is a question that I get posed a lot, just because there's different models of deliverance when you know some are talking to, to demonic forces, some would encourage not doing that because, you know, demons are liars, you know, they're the father of lies, you know, that kind of thing. Like uh, the, these, these beings aren't, aren't, you know, required to tell us the truth. What, what's your take on that? Like, do you, do you believe um, when you're interacting with demonic forces that they are required to tell you the truth and how much interaction with demonic forces is actually helpful or can it be hurtful in doing deliverance ministry? Would you kind of maybe weigh in on what it looks like to communicate with these forces? 
Okay, so let me just tell you my personal stance. I'm not one of those deliverance ministries that have long dragged out conversations. As a matter of fact, if anybody wants to ever scrutinize our deliverance ministry, I have hundreds of deliverance videos on my social media pages. And if you noticed, the conversation is extremely, extremely short. Now, am I for conversation with demons? There's a biblical premise for it, Mark chapter five. I think those conversations are short-lived. I think deliverance ministers, it behooves them to have less conversations with them. Anything else strays off into sensationalism and then kind of gets more into perpetuating a narrative that is more leaning towards darkness rather, rather than the light. Understand, those of you that are watching, deliverance is not fighting the darkness. It's turning on the light. All right, so deliverance is not a power encounter, which is what I think long conversations that dragged out, I think long conversations dragged out with demons inflate the pride and the ego of the deliverance minister and take away from the efficacy of the supremacy of Christ onto the person. I think less is best, if I can use that as a cliche. I don't personally practice it. Now, am I against deliverance ministers that do that? I wouldn't say I'm against it, but they know where I stand when it comes to that. I'm trying my best as a pastor because I used to preach against deliverance. I did Bible studies against deliverance. So when I embraced deliverance, I was already in a pastor of a successful church as a seminary graduate. I'm always thinking, how can this better advance the kingdom of God and draw people to the church? Now, uh, and I find that uh, a lot of demonstrative stuff that kind of goes on in the name of deliverance actually steers away uh, from the, you know, uh, the centralized message of Christ-centered cross focus. That's just me. And every deliverance minister out there knows where I stand when it comes to talking with demons. And they, most of them disagree with me. But, I do, but there are moments where I do have a conversation with the demon and they don't last longer than maybe five, five minutes. 10 minute conversation, I think there's flesh and there's ego going on there and I personally wouldn't recommend it. Now, as far as demons lying, and here is where we can agree to disagree. I don't find any New Testament scripture where demons were lying when they were being interrogated. I don't find it. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was the truth. These men are here to show you the way of salvation. Damsel with a spirit of divination, telling the truth. I don't find, and I've never seen it, and I've never experienced it. Um, and, 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 and take that with a grain of salt, because the moment I say I haven't experienced it, then you go into, I, I get it. You're doing experience, my brother. Okay. I haven't seen a demon lie to me yet. And every solid, biblical, well-balanced deliverance minister, at least that I know, we haven't seen demons lie to us yet. I don't, why would they lie? I, I think people that don't do deliverance are the ones that say that the most because maybe they've encountered maybe one demon and they're assuming demons will lie. I don't find no biblical premise for uh, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, demons lying. As a matter of fact, every time a demon spoke, it spoke the truth. They don't have to agree with me on that. So that's my answer to that. I, I'm not for it, but I'm not against it. But I would say stay away from it. But I'd say when the Holy Spirit inspires you to do it, you do it. And it's for a reason. And I just haven't seen a demon lie. Now, they're free to disagree with me because I want my brothers and sisters that are watching me to be good Bereans. We could just agree to disagree on that. I just haven't seen it. And none of us that do deliverance have seen a demon lying. We just, when we interrogated them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just haven't seen them lie. So you're like, you know, I'm not going to pick up mud and throw it into some guy's eyes unless I'm led to do so. You're like, it's not it's not necessarily my normative call, but but like God can lead you to do something like that. I, I appreciate that. I think that's that's helpful.
Right. Yeah. Well, okay. well, well, I sent you guys a link of a video uh, and I was hoping that you guys played it today. We just came back from Alaska where I did interrogate a demon, but that conversation wasn't long. And this person was not a Christian. They were a native in Alaska, um, worshiping and venerating Mary. And it was a real full blown demon possession. And I must say there was no seven sons of Sceva because deliverance ministers, not all, we're we're brothers in the faith. We are brothers in the faith and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I don't know why they keep saying if they encounter a real demon, watch the seven sons of Sceva. I got it on video. It was a real demon. Don't know this person. And it was pretty intense and it was pretty wild. And she got mildly delivered. She didn't get fully delivered, but she got mildly delivered. And I'm just being very honest, no showboating here. She didn't get fully delivered, but she got delivered from that demon that was talking through her. And we have it on video. You can go to my page and it's just, you know, it is, I, it is what it is. I have the footage. Um, could you tell me which one it is? Is it the one of, of her? It looks like she's like uh, holding herself up on the stage. Is it that one or is it the other clip? I have two separate clips. Okay. It's the one where she's on the stage. That's the one. We just came back. That was a real full-blown deliverance. And here's what's interesting about that is, is that initially when she came up on the stage, um, I didn't know who she was. And I wasn't even sure if she was saved. Now, here's something that's not in the video, but I'm going to tell you, those of you that are watching, and you're just going to have to believe me, her eyelids, not her white, her pupils were gold. I thought it was contact lenses. And then I found out from our staff that this lady's eyes were brown. This was a full-blown demon possession. And we just, at moments like that, when I realized at first I was dialoguing what I thought would be a mentally unstable person. And that does happen, right? After a while, Holy Spirit said, this, you're talking to a demon right now, switch son. And I switched it and I went right into interrogating. And as soon as I led her through a sinner's prayer, when we got to the Lordship of Christ, the demon started screaming and then someone actually caught this. I wasn't videotaping this. Someone caught this on a cell phone, it's 40 minutes. And this is what happened. You could play it if you want on the screen. Lord, the f did he cast down 2,000 years ago? Out this body now. Jesus' name. Oh, we're not going to have you do a show here. Oh, the Holy Ghost have a show here, not you, you unclean skirt. In the Amen. name of Jesus. You know what the God off right now. Out now. It all So that, I mean, that's the clip that you sent me, right? From the bro, listen, guys, those of you that are watching, that was 100% real. And I want you to pray about it right now and ask the Holy Spirit if that was real, because that was authentically real. And we only caught 40 seconds of that. Someone else caught it uh, that was in the crowd and just happened to send it to me while I was there. Um, and we spent about a good 40 minutes there tackling that demon and the demon did talk now there are times that the demon do talk if you want you can play the other video this one was a little bit more local and this one was a little bit more intense um so that way they could see this was another demon possession that happened about two maybe two two to three years ago here's another video clip
That's power. Can I, can I just, uh, I don't know, compliment you for like blurring faces and stuff like that. Things like this can be extremely embarrassing for the people that are going through this. And I just, I think that, uh, one, you're playing worship music in the background Two, you're blurring faces here. Um, I think that this gives that experience dignity, um, uh, for the person that's going through this because they're, they're embarrassed, humiliated by these things. Um, anyway, I just, I commend you for that. I, I assume that's why you do it as well. I, I, I don't know that to be the case, but I assume that's yeah. the case. We do that. We do that intentionally. Listen, guys, I the message is more important than the messenger and the dignity of the person is more important uh, than the glorification of the act or the session itself. Um, at the end of the day, these are still real people. And afterwards, uh, they get set free. But if their faces are shown and, you know, I'm not against per se deliverance ministries that do show faces. Some do, some of my friends, some of them are my colleagues. I personally don't, why? Because I'm a pastor first. I, again, I embrace deliverance as a pastor. And one of the uh, 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 attributes of a real pastor is confidentiality, nurturing, protection. I believe in protecting the dignity of the person. And I also believe in good video editing, meaning if we're gonna show a video of the ministry of deliverance, then why does the video have to be so demonstrative leading towards the glorification of darkness? Man, we don't glorify darkness here. We glorify Jesus. We glorify the savior. Did the person get set free and did they get delivered? So that I intentionally oversee every uh, video. Now here's what's crazy. This young man, uh, I didn't wanna do his deliverance. We were in Jersey, in Passaic, Jersey, and he came in after the, fir the first night was over and he literally just ran into, ran into the church begging to do deliverance. And I actually told him no. And he ran upstairs and grabbed the pastor who was standing behind me and said, please help me go through deliverance. And I was like, young man, I'm tired. I want to go home. Come back tomorrow. We'll pray for you. And he's like, no, I don't. I can't. And that's when compassion kicked in. And I said, okay, uh, take him upstairs. I prayed, got myself in the moment, like, okay, God, I wasn't prepared to do another deliverance, Father, but obviously I'm okay with divine interruptions. We went upstairs and that's what happened. I took a hour long demonstrative, real demon possession, and I just narrowed it down to one minute and I made sure to show that he did get set free and, and Christ was glorified. And it real, was a real demon possession, which is why I led him through salvation. Um, so that's intentional on my end. And I believe that's the reason why, by God's grace, we've become one of the leading voices of deliverance, both in the digital means and globally, because I believe, at least to the best of my knowledge, I'm trying my best to be Christ-honoring, Christ-centered, cross-focused, just a little bit slant towards a little bit more deliverance, just for the sake of helping people get set free. And I know it might appear, uh, you all you do is talk about the devil. Actually, I don't always talk about the devil, but I do promote 
a lot of deliverance videos such as that one to help reawaken the body of Christ and at least reconsider. For those of you that are watching, you don't have to embrace deliverance. You really don't have to. All I'm asking is that you would begin to reconsider. Is everything a demon? Absolutely not. But what are you doing? It is a demon. And for those that say, oh, you're getting caught up with rituals. Well, we do the ritual too, just on the opposite end. My brother, just quote this and say this and you're going to be good. And we become dismissive in another form of incantation that's on the opposite end. I think just, I think the beauty of, of setting the captives free is following the Holy Spirit. So in a nutshell, the ministry of deliverance is total dependence on the Holy Spirit to reveal the root of a problem and the strategy to solve it. That's all it is. I'll leave it there. Okay. All right. Uh, Pagani, could you Come give on. us maybe, we'll, we'll probably need to close this episode up pretty soon here. We're at the one hour mark. I'll ask one more question and then we'll do some closing remarks. But uh, I just want to ask you, like your last statement, what you just said, that deliverance is about the Holy Spirit revealing to us, like basically his strategy, his way of getting the demon out. And right. uh, could you tell us a story where, Maybe you're in a deliverance session and I don't know, maybe, maybe it was being prolonged. Maybe there were, you ran into a problem and as you sought the Holy Spirit, he showed you, okay, this is the door that you need to open. This is the issue. And by revelation, the Holy Spirit showed you how to remove this demon. Uh, could you share an example of that? I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you two. I have two that come to mind. One, we were doing deliverance in our church when we kind of first embraced deliverance on an older woman um, who was dealing with some form of alcohol, right? Alcoholism, uh, generational curse of alcoholism in the bloodline. And let me tell you something, that deliverance session prolonged itself. You know, it, we had gone into about maybe 40, 40, 40 minutes and um, I was tired. My intercessor was tired. We were kind of getting tired and I had run into a roadblock. I literally ran into a roadblock while I was helping her get set free. So I did what the normal Pentecostal would do at the time, which is start breaking out in tongues, right? Because that's what we've been taught to do as, you know, Pentecostals. You don't know anything, just pray in tongues. So I start praying in tongues. The demon ran to my face. The, the lady ran to my face, literally came about maybe three inches from my face and spoke demonic tongues in my face and mocking me, and mocking me, right, at that moment. In that moment, I became a little bit, concerned. Okay, God, I'm, I prayed, Lord, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. The Holy Spirit said, this was in the main sanctuary of the church. The Holy Spirit told me, walk away and go downstairs and tell one of the women, uh, one of our pastors uh, to take over. Just, just walk away, walk away. I walk away and I tell one of our pastors who's still a member in our church. I said, uh, come here. When, by the time I got to the church steps leading to the basement of the church, the woman got absolutely set free. The issue was she had issues with male authority figures in her life. So the more that I stood there, the more hatred it was toward me as a male. Now, prior to that, I didn't know that demonization, there's still a mixture of this person's personality because in this instance, with this person, they were a Christian and a Christian cannot be demon possessed. Any deliverance minister teaching that a Christian can be demon possessed is heretical, run from it. That is false doctrine. We don't preach that. We don't teach that. We teach in demonization. And even with that, I'm having some issues with the wording to some degree, because that kind of alludes to possession still. Um, I believe in a Christian having a demon in an unsubmitted area that's not uh, submitted to the Holy Spirit where they've lost control and they can't take control back and we help them take control back. So when I walked away, 
that's what happened. All right, here's another one. I was helping someone who was, uh, a, you know, a part of the alphabet community, because I'm not sure if we could say those words now of what they identify as. We're helping someone that was part of the alphabet community, right? Um, another, another 40 minutes in, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Uh, the person was coming in and out of consciousness, and every time she came back to consciousness, her eyes were completely black. And I just did the best that I knew to do at the time, because I was kind of uh, a little bit mature, but I, it was one of those cases. And the Holy Spirit, this is going to sound a little crazy, guys, but you don't have to, you really don't have to agree with me, but this is just what I did. I heard the Holy Spirit say, get her a cup of water. Just get her a cup of water. I said, so-and-so, give me a cup of water. And I said, here's a cup of water. And then I said, drink this cup of water. And in the whole, I felt the Holy Spirit say, tell her that as she drinks this, it's going to be a symbol of rivers of living water flushing out every demon that's inside her body. It took me like two minutes to say that because I'm a scripture guy. Where's that in the Bible? Where's that in the Bible? And amen. I'd say everybody stay there. All right. And then I just heard washing of regeneration. And then I heard Acts chapter 19, you know, unusual miracles. I said, okay, God, I'm just going to do this by faith, not make a doctrine out of it. I just, I just said it by faith because I felt like I was already stuck. All right. The moment I said that, the demon started screaming, fell out under the power, and then the demon looked up through the through the through the through the through the young lady. She was a young lady at the time, and out of nowhere, the demon looks up and screams and says, "What are you doing here, Jesus?" At that point, me and my intercessor we fell out in intercession and prayer because now Jesus is in the room, and we backed off, we prostrated. I'm overwhelmed with not worthy to even have an experience like this. And this is all I did. This is all I did. I felt something grab my hand and go like this. And I just heard decree the sword of the Lord. Again, I was like, where's that in the Bible? In my brain. And sword of the Lord, if, uh, Hebrews chapter four, the word of God is like a sharper two-edged sword. And I just did a prophetic reenactment based on First uh, Kings chapter 11, where King Ahijah, this is the only scripture that came to me. King Ahijah grabbed Jeroboam's tunic and he, he took his own tunic and he ripped it in 10 pieces and said, thus saith the Lord, these 10 pieces from my cloak are going to be the 10 kingdoms. I'm going to, so I just kind of took that as, all right, Lord, I'm going to do this by faith. <laughs> and I'm going to stand on that scripture. And I went like this and I just said, by the soul of the Lord, come out. And I just swung you guys don't have to believe me. All right. And I get it. If you say, I'm not going to agree with that. That's experience. Amen. The demon, the demon had problems. So then because I'm from the Bronx, I started, I started, I started stabbing it because I got extra with it because I'm Puerto Rican and I'm Latino. I got extra with it. And then we cast the demon out. Watch this. I led the young lady through a full surrender to Christ. She got set free. Watch this. And this is a true story. And if anybody ever needs to validate this story, I'll give you the link to her Facebook. She is married now out of the alphabet community and named her child's middle name after me, Alexander. Pagani or Alexander? Not, oh, just Al Pagani. Just that would have been awesome. That would have been crazy, right? <laughs> she just named the middle name, my first name, in honor of her getting set free from the alphabet community. Amen. Those are two real stories, and I have hundreds of more that I could give you, but I think we're pressed, we're pressed for time. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh yeah, no, that's good. I, I actually, like when it comes to just being led by the spirit in the moment, I, I'm 
completely on board with uh, with that story you just shared because I just think sometimes I, why does Jesus put mud in one dude's eye? Why would you look across his healing miracles? Do they pretty much mostly look different? I mean, there's a consistency of a laying on of hands, but but there's just a lot of there's diversity in the way he does miracles. Why John five? He only does what he sees the Father doing, and you know we told a story on here. Uh, I don't know, some time ago about Remnant Radio Conference, the one that we did in March. We got another one coming up in September where Michael Miller uh, pulled a sort of metaphorical knife out of someone's back. He felt like he was, and it was a, a dramatic uh, healing story that resulted. He's like, man, I've never done that before. And it's weird. I didn't really want to do it. But but he's like, but I felt like the Spirit showed me. And, and I think just following what the spirit leads us to do. I mean, Jesus says, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you, uh, is in your midst. And so God demonstrates his reign by kicking demons out. And it's through the leadership and execution and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So certainly we should be led by the spirit in this. And so I, I do think that the Holy Spirit can give you, uh, can give you some different tactics. Now, uh, you know, there, there are some that cross the line, you know, when people are like, you know, the such and such healing minister kicked a baby. I'm like, no, the Holy Spirit doesn't lead you to do that. I mean, that's just stupid and harmful. Um, people can get over the top, but the, this, there, nothing you said was anything like that or harmful or anything. So I'm on board with that. What about you, Josh? Not oh, the man, baby I, I think, yeah, not the baby. Th yeah. Uh, I agree with Michael. Don't kick babies. Uh, if that's a revolutionary idea to you, um, uh, but but you know, I mean, throughout the Bible, you know, stab the earth, throw the stick in so the axe head floats. Um, you know, Agabus tying up Paul with a belt. Um, you've got go we'll wash in There's the river Jordan, like get cleansed of leprosy. I mean, you just got you you've got humble yourself, obey the Lord, and and power is manifest. So I, I'm not, what, what, what the, the danger is, is, oh, we see weird things in the Bible, therefore let's be weird so God will use us. That's not what anyone here is saying. What we're saying is God will lead you to do things, and all of these things are based deeply in friendship with God. You can't just be walking around, um, you know, trying to do odd things like the sons of Sceva. Like, okay, I, one time I saw Alexander, you know, uh, you know, Pagani, you know, sword slash some guy and he got delivered of demons, you know, so therefore every time I see a, a, a demon from the alphabet community, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to slash at him and that's going to get rid of that demon. It's like, well, well, no, but that's not what he did. And that's not what you should do. What he did was just follow the leading of the spirit. And as the spirit would lead and guide him, there were some odd things that happened, but the ultimate aim was that he humbled himself before the leading of the Lord. That's where God exalts. That's where God provides powers when we're humbled in our weakness. And, 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 and we would likewise encourage you not to follow the pattern that you saw, like the sons of Sceva saw, but rather had friendship with God. So, you know, uh, again, that's that, that passage, you know, Paul, we know, Jesus, we know, but who the heck are you? Uh, the, the Gnosko Episcopal, I don't have, I can't pronounce Greek words properly, so I'll do it poorly. You know, Gnosko is this intimate knowledge. They, they've had some kind of run in with Jesus. They know him. Paul, the Episcopal, they've heard about him, but he's like, who are you? Like you have, you have no street cred when it comes to uh, the forces of darkness. You have no real meaningful relationship with Jesus. You don't have power. You've got no power here. Um, and, and I think that that is exactly what many Christians are lacking is they're lacking a friendship with God. And because they lack a friendship with God and they don't know his voice, they can't hear him when he's leading them and guiding them. Uh, they, they end up walking into situations where they're very sons of Sceva esque powerless 
um, and, and just trying to follow a model. And I think that's what uh, many of us here, uh, I would I would say, would, would advise against. What we would say the model is, and I think this would be my closing thoughts, the model is repent and believe the gospel. Repent of your Amen. sins. The scriptures are clear what sins are. Uh, believe in Christ Jesus who died and rose from the dead uh, and, and took your place for the, the sin that you rightly deserve has separated you from God and Jesus took the penalty of your sin. And if you turn from your sin and repent and you believe in Jesus, there is life and liberty and freedom that can be found in Christ Jesus. And, and when we talk about deliverance, we're looking to that aim and that's what we proclaim. Uh, and if, if you're interested in having that friendship with God and walking in that power, that's the first step is repent of your sin and believe in Christ Jesus. And then, and then he kind of cohabitates with you. He sends his spirit to live inside of your heart so that you can live your life out with the power of the spirit. So I, I really hope and pray that Christians um, today stop building churches on marketing material. They stop building churches on church growth strategies. They start, they stop building, uh, you know, their church on, you know, like, like we said earlier, lies of prosperity, gospel and empty promises, but they build their churches leading, uh, being, being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. So they don't labor in vain. And I think that many Christians today aren't walking in that power because their churches aren't walking in that power. They've got strategies, they've got systems that they're, that they're following blindly, thinking that well, it worked in times past, it'll work today. And I really believe, man, the, the, the problem that we have in the West, especially when it comes to deliverance, is a friendship with God problem. We don't, we don't know how to be led, um, and, and we're, not, we're not living in intimacy with God. So th those are my thoughts. Uh, uh, Alexander, I keep calling you Alexander. I apologize. Yes, let's call you Pagani. Uh, Pagani, would you, would you, uh, you have any kind of closing thoughts you want people thinking about, praying about as they're walking away from this program? I, I, I would say this. Um, the deliverance ministry has been uh, sensationalized. Uh, demonized, uh, marketed. Um, and yes, uh, there is an epidemic, at least in this present day and age, uh, where um, it's being used as a cash cow. I would agree with you on that. All I'm asking is this, is no one is telling, not telling you to be a good Berean and no one is not telling you to ax people and hold people accountable, specifically within the ministry of deliverance. What I am saying is this, is sincerely pray to the Holy Spirit so that way the deliverance ministry or the mere name of it isn't a trigger response from a place of theological trauma for you that you're not even considering that, yes, everything is not a demon, but what are you doing when it is a demon? What are you doing when it when someone has lost control and they haven't submitted to God and they're not resisting the devil and they will flee? Well, the only logical response to that would be potentially if the Holy Spirit guides you, take them through a moment of prayer of deliverance. All I'm asking is this is to reconsider. I'm not telling you to embrace. I'm not telling you to change your view. I'm not telling you to uh, even support what we're doing. All I'm, all I'm saying is for the sake of the people that God has ordained for you to reach, if and when a demon does manifest, I would sincerely hope that you're not saying, my brother, just go pray about it and just dismiss them in that church stuff that we do to not help people because for whatever reason, I don't want to make it seem like I'm glorifying myself because, and I don't find that nowhere in the New Testament that anyone moving in a sense of authority felt like they were glorifying themselves because they were administering authority. Guys, get delivered from that because someone is administering authority doesn't mean there's self-glorification there. Some do. All I'm asking is this, is for this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil in salvation, but also ongoing work of sanctification at times 
with the ministry of deliverance. That's all I'm saying is to reconsider and pray about this ministry because I was you back in 2004. I preached against Paganis. I did Bible studies against it. Uh, and we didn't even get into that, uh, how I got delivered uh, from how I actually embraced it. But I would say this, I was you 15 years ago. And then I embraced it. And all I heard the Holy Spirit would say is clean this up because they're making a mockery and a mess. And that's all I've been trying to do. Am I going to fail? When I fail, hold me accountable. Will I get mad? Yes. Anybody gets mad. We're human. But I do pray about it. Listen to it. Trust me. I love the Lord. And I'll end with this. I ain't trying to go to hell for nobody. I know the ministry of deliverance is not taking nobody to hell. The moment the ministry of deliverance becomes a salvation issue that I end up Matthew 7, Lord, did I not cast out demon? I will give this all up because I don't want to burn in the lake of fire forever. I love Jesus too much. And I'm not living holy for nothing. It is of God. And I'm trying my best. Pray for me that I help steer this immature deliverance ministry that's out there. Me and my friends, Isaiah and others that are my compadres, that you would pray for us, that we would steer ourselves into a Christ-centered cross-focused, lead people back to scripture, but at the same time, be open to what God wants to, wants to do. And guess what? I'm okay if you disagree with me on this broadcast and don't take nothing I say personal. That's just my Bronx personality and my Latino-ness coming out in Jesus' mighty name. Follow me on YouTube and go get my book, The Secrets to Generational Curses. It comes out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, uh, Pagani, thank you so much for coming on the program. Uh, we definitely at that point where we're going to wrap. Uh, as I as I end the broadcast, uh, the screen will go black. If you'd stay on uh, with us just for a moment or two, Pagani, I'd, I'd love to kind of do a uh, after you know chat. Uh, but for the rest of you who are watching right now, and man, you're, you're wanting to dive into this content, you can always check out uh, Pagani's YouTube channel, but you can also check out a deliverance playlist that we have here uh, on Remnant Radio. You can go to our playlist and check out some of the stuff that we have on demonization and spiritual warfare. You can check all that out. We've got a lot of great content that you could pick up and consume. Uh, if you're out there and you're interested uh, in, in in subscribing, I'd encourage you to do that. If you to support the ministry, there are links in the description to do so. But I also want to encourage you, if you haven't yet uh, registered for the uh, Hearing God's Voice uh, and Prophecy Conference that River Radio is putting on September 14th through the 16th, go check that out. We're going to be training you in prophetic. We're going to be practicing prophetic from stage. We're bringing in people from all over the nation to practice this stuff. If that's something that you're interested in, I really encourage you to check that out in the link of the description, remnantconferences.com. If you're listening and you're not, you're not on the YouTube, or maybe you're on a podcast and you can't access the links very easily, I encourage you to check out remnantconferences.com. Uh, you have all that information there. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into this program. Uh, Pagani, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was a, a lot of fun. really enjoyed it. Uh, and we'll see you guys next Monday and Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.